does a shoe shim look like and where can I get one? It looks like a piece of rubber. And you're, uh, uh, where do you live? Lexington, Kentucky. Because there's, how many shoe shops have they got? Well, take your, your weightlifting shoes to the, to the shoe shop. Now, they're going to have to replace both soles, okay, because he's going to have to pull the sole off of the short side and glue on a piece of rubber and then re-glue another sole onto the bottom of that. And so that the sole materials from each shoe will match, he's going to have to re-sole both shoes. But to the short side, he will glue a piece of rubber the whole length of the sole and make a shim for that leg. Uh, my question is, during your two years working with CrossFit, do you have any... During two years when who was CrossFit? You were working with... You were working with CrossFit. You were the, three, the basic... Three years, sir. yeah. Three years. Oh, three years. Did you manage to teach all of them low bar score? No, no. They, I didn't manage to teach any of them anything. You're talking about the people at CrossFit headquarters? No, they already know everything there is to know. There's not any way to teach people like that anything. Okay, so what did you do during when you were... <laughs> I, we, we taught everybody else a bunch of stuff. Taught everybody else a bunch of stuff. But not the people at, uh, as you say, HQ. You know, we traveled a lot. Got to drink a lot of new beer. Is the seminar original derived from the Barbell certificate? Was, this is completely different than what we were doing with them. Three levels of complexity above what we were doing with them. See, that was just a two-day thing. That was, those were, we were doing CrossFit, there was two short days. Um, actually, they weren't that short, because I took it in 2008. And it was still pretty damn good. It was just not as much material. There wasn't any of the, we didn't have any of the theoretical material much because it hadn't been developed by then. That was the start of this. Yeah, it was the start of this, the start of the idea of how to, how to create this product. Yeah, it was, it was, it was productive. It led to this. Are there any circumstances where you would recommend doing sets of more than five reps? Some people say that, for example, women should do six, six or eight. No, women should do threes. I completely disagree with women doing six or eight. Absolutely not. When did we get into the... Uh, have we discussed... We probably didn't discuss that, did we? All right. All right. Very good question. Let's, let's address this now. Do you remember when I told you that an average men's standing vertical jump was 22 and an average female's standing vertical jump is, is 13, right? Yes. And the record is 46 and 29 and a half. It's all humans everywhere, 46, 29 and a half, men, women. There's a difference, isn't there? Obviously, there's a difference, or women and men would jump the same, wouldn't they? Right? There's a difference, or there'd be no such thing as men's and women's golf. Golf, for God's sake. There's men's and women's golf. Chess. Yeah, the chess is the same, isn't it? They have men's and women's chess. Are you serious? <laughs> that's, that's not a... That's a bad sign. 
Now, that's a bad sign. It's more profound than I thought it was. <laughs> men's and women's poker. Is there men's and women's poker? Men's and women's divisions in all sports, right? And there's a reason for this, okay? Men and women, and there's a big, long article about this on T Nation, uh, training for women, all right? The difference is that men and women have wildly different levels of efficiency in neuromuscular recruitment. Men can recruit very, very high numbers of motor units into contraction for a one rep max. Women cannot. So for example, if a one rep max squat for a male represents a 99% uh, of motor unit recruitment event. For a female, a one rep max probably only represents about 85%. Maybe not even that much. Okay, so this has some rather profound implications, not just for performance, but for training as well. Okay, would it be fair to put Ronda Rousey in the ring with B.J. Penn? No. But he would kill her. He would kill her dead. He would kill her. There'd be, it'd be a murder. Right? At the same body weight, it'd be a murder. Do what? Yeah, let's say let's say we bulked her up. Okay. <laughs> let's say we got her all bulked up. Let's say let's say we got him on a cut. Okay? He'd murder her, right? And everybody knows this. Right? That's why there aren't any such things as mixed women's and men's combat sports in actual sanctioned athletic competition. Because it would be because it's dangerous because it's dangerous. Men are much stronger than women, pound for pound, because there are profound differences in the way the neuromuscular efficiency operates in the two sexes, okay? Doesn't matter how you identify, all right? What matters is how long you have been exposed to testosterone and at what level you have been exposed to testosterone. Your wishes and desires are irrelevant, okay? It's these types of these hormonal exposures to these sex hormones make profound differences take place in motor unit recruitment, in, in strength and explosive capacity, that sort of thing. That's why there's differences in the vertical jump and everything else in terms of physical performance between females and males. So. If a guy who is going to do a one rep max is recruiting 99% of his motor units into that effort, what does a five rep max event represent? Maybe 88, 90%, right? Let's just, let's just to jerk a number out of our butts. All right, say 90% of his motor units are in contraction at the end of that set, okay? Those motor units got trained. 
because they were loaded, because they came into contraction, right? In contrast, if a female is only making 85% neuromuscular recruitment efficiency at a one rep max, what's a five look like for her? It's probably closer to, probably closer to 75 or 80. Because the upshot of this thing is that for a female, she could do a very, very high percentage of her one rep max for a set of five because the one rep max wasn't really hard. So what does that mean about the five rep max? It's not really hard either. You got a 350 bencher. Anybody in here doing 350? Nobody at 350? All right, Reynolds, let's say Reynolds does a 350. How many, how many can you do for a triple? 305? Well, I mean, in real life, my best bench is 460 and my best triple is 405. 55 pounds less than the max. See the, see the deal? All right, now, let's have him do 405 for a triple. He finishes his last triple. And then I'm going to make him do a forced rep. All right? So... He's going to take the fourth rep down, and he's going to push it up, and I'm going to take enough weight off of it as the spotter to keep it moving up. And then we're going to do a fifth rep. What's going to happen in the middle of the fifth rep? I'm going to have to take the bar. I'm going to have to take the bar because he's going to be completely fatigued. All right? Now let's say Charity is benching 135. All right, 165, say I've insulted Charity. Okay. So let's say Charity's gonna do 165. She could probably do 158 for a set of five. 57, something like that, right? That's different, isn't it? That's different, isn't it? Now, let's same thing. I'm going to give her, she's going to do 157, she's going to get five with it. And she locks out the fifth rep. I'm going to have her go down for the sixth rep, and I'm going to help her up a little bit, just enough to keep it moving. I'm going to do seven. I'm going to do eight. I'm going to help her with the ninth rep. I'm going to help her with the tenth rep. I'll help her for 15 reps, and she will not be fatigued. Way different, huh? Why? Might. But that, that might be. Why would that be? Because the previous reps do not represent sufficiently intense motor unit recruitment to produce enough fatigue to make her have to stop. Because they're not actually hard. She's not recruiting that many motor units anyway because she can't because she's a female. Testosterone in utero produces profound changes in morphology in the fetus, all right? Prof profound changes that we call boys and girls, okay? Testosterone in puberty produces profound changes in secondary sex characteristics and in neuromuscular, all of the stuff that's considered to be affected by testosterone, 
all that shit ramps up in puberty and causes things to be different. You as trainers have to understand that fives for men are not the same as fives for women. And the answer is not sevens. That's going the wrong direction. That's absolutely the wrong idea. <clears throat> if you want to achieve a higher level of intensity than fives permit in women, what would you do? Well, what's heavier than fives? Threes. So what we've all found is that after, say you start a female and she runs fives for a couple of months on a novice progression, the, the first time she wiggles even a little bit, switch her over to threes. And she can make progress on threes for months and months. Because of that fact, because we're taking advantage of that information. Now you can ignore that at your peril. Okay, you're gonna make giant mistakes at meets, you're gonna make giant mistakes in training females. If you don't understand this, I would read that article if I were you. It's on T Nation, it's called Training for Women. Okay, very important to understand all this stuff. Anybody else? Coach, does um, right. would a double knee replacement prevent you from doing anything in the program? No. No. I've got a stupid guy here in the gym named Phil Anderson. You guys have seen him if you follow our Facebook. I saw the PR. I saw him on the PRs, yeah. Phil did 500 on a double knee replacement 11 months post-op. 600. Yeah, it was 600. Deadlifted 600 11 months post-op on a double knee replacement which is stupid, but it can be done. Why is it stupid? Because replaced knee menisci don't heal. <laughs> There's no mecca. You wear them out, they have to be, you have to cut them open and put a new one in. And Phil doesn't have that good a job, so his insurance isn't that good. <laughs> so, but yeah, it could be done, sure. Wilson, John Wilson squats. Here's an interesting story. John Wilson had a double knee replacement uh, several years ago. He's got his deadlift back up to 500. He's squatting in the low threes. About six months ago, he was in here training and uh, uh, couldn't catch his breath. Started getting, feeling real sick. Went down to the ER. As it turned out, he had a collapsed lung because of stage four kidney cancer. So they cut him open, fished around in there and pulled some of the tumor out, got his lung reinflated. And he's back in here training. He's PR'd his pull, his squat and his body weight on chemo with stage four kidney cancer. But I've told him, John, if you're gaining weight and getting stronger, you can't be dying of cancer. So he's gaining weight and getting stronger. 
Can't be dying of cancer if you're gaining weight and get stronger now, can you? Well, I guess you're right. But they don't want me to train. Well, then die of cancer, John. I don't care. Not my ass. It's your ass. You want to die of cancer or not? You'll die of cancer? Don't train. Lose weight. Die of cancer. Fine with me. Okay. The problem is they'll say it can't be done, but how many people have not trained and died of cancer? Lots of people. Like most of them. But how many people? Like all of them. Cancer. Very, very few, so we don't have much. There's not much data. As long as they're willing to listen to their doctor, there isn't going to be any data on that. <laughs> you know. Hey, you're dying of cancer. Have some morphine. Dad has Parkinson's, and they, you know, this weightlifting thing you're doing isn't going to help the Parkinson's. There's nothing in the literature that shows weightlifting helps Parkinson's. But here's what we know, that the Parkinson's attacks the neural system, and we know that strength training makes the neural system better. So how can it hurt the Parkinson's? So he's lifting, and he's noticed his Parkinson's symptoms aren't as bad. Now, I don't know if it's going to, like, fix Parkinson's, but I know it's not going to hurt well, him. Well, it ain't going to hurt him. Right. And what's he going to do? What's his alternative? It makes a difference. You can squat to a chair yeah. and get up without her arms. And then she was doing, you know, we couldn't put a bar on her back just because she's 85 years old. And right, right. Get, but we started having her do like a goblet squat. Right. A dumbbell, goblet squat to the chair up and down all day long. This yeah. And her gait improves because she's got more volitional control now. Yep. It, it actually does seem to help. Yeah. Sure. Well, but even if it doesn't help, is it going to hurt? It's going to be, fuck, what are you guys doing, you know? Would you rather just take the morphine and just drift off? If you want to do that, go ahead. You know, it's your ass, not mine, like I told Wilson. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. But all I'm telling you is that as long as you can get stronger and gain weight, then you can't be dying of cancer. And he seems to be able to understand this. So that's what he's doing. And he's, you know... He's alive, but he's getting stronger, gaining weight. Getting kind of fat, actually. <laughs> Fine with me. You're getting fat. People that don't die of cancer when they're getting fat, do they?